James is a brutally honest book, but it's very good because like any good loving father, and he wants to really relay on what God has to say to us as our perfect father, uh, all warnings are invitations into joy. They're invitations into life. Uh, And so even though he gives hard words, they're good words if we follow them. Uh, and so uh, he's been walking us through uh, really this, this understanding of how um, when the gospel takes root in your heart, you heard how uh, all that we do is, is to really celebrate Jesus and his person and work, um, it should manifest itself in, in action. There should be a, a reality about you to where Jesus Christ has not only been someone you know about, but you've experienced him in a way to where it's basically uh, walking itself out in your life. And so uh, he's been kind of showing us these different areas that uh, as men and women who love Jesus and celebrate his name and renown, how this this actually creates not just tweaked creations or uh, better creations, but transformed creations. Uh, that's who we are as the redeemed people of God. And so uh, he's made us new, and because we're new, there should be new things about us. Um, and so he's going to lay before us how just like last week it should manifest itself in the way that you speak, uh, this week it manifests itself in wisdom. Now, uh, here's what's amazing about this. And, and first, do we not need wisdom? If you just look across the landscape, we need wisdom, not more morons, okay? we Just go on social media, right? We need to speak less, think deeper, and consider what God might want from us uh, than just reacting into the ways that we feel in our fleshly selves. And so uh, even in the wake of uh, Parkland, Florida, we need wisdom, do we not, from God. We don't need it from our own brains. Uh, we need wisdom from above, a God who made and created men and women in his own image. So we should, we should feel the weight of that. We should feel the, the deepness of loss when that happens. We should also uh, think next, okay, we need wisdom from God. Uh, how should we think about this? How should we speak about this? How should we act in light of this? Uh, we desperately need wisdom uh, from him. And so um, here's what you have to understand, though. This is what I love about James. This is really what I love about the scriptures. Um, the scriptures, and some of you guys are going to be like, it'll take you a minute, but um, sin is not really uh, mostly about your external behaviors. Even though those things are sin, the Bible's going to repeatedly, emphatically, and loudly lay before you that it's much more a state of your heart that leads to your behavior. Okay, that's really what sin is. And so uh, there's something going on in your heart that you need to be made right with God to have a new heart so that these other things uh, sprout forth. So we never want people to leave thinking, I have to just behave differently, okay? That, that's nonsense. That's silliness. That's wisdom of the world. You can just go to any other therapist or place that can help you behave better without having a new heart, right? That's not what we need. We need new hearts, new minds, new selves that only Jesus Christ gives us. And so um, he's going to show us that wisdom is actually the same way a disposition of your heart more than it is just data you have in your brain. Um, And that's profound. Wisdom works itself out. Um, I don't know if you're like me. I I used to think, man, the wise people were the sages up on the hills, and you'd, you know, crawl up and sit at their feet and let them just say things to you. And James is going to say, look at how they live. Uh, It's not just what they say. Uh, It's do they walk in that wisdom. Wisdom isn't just something you know in your head. It's a disposition of your heart. And so he's going to uh, show that for us. Now, uh, wisdom is a very important theme in the scriptures. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that King Solomon, we studied Ecclesiastes all summer, wisest man who ever lived. Uh, he, he, God told him, hey, ask me for anything, and he chooses, God, give me wisdom. Uh, he could have said fame, he could have said fortune, he could have said intellect, could have said all these other things, but he knew that wisdom superseded everything else. He knew wisdom was valuable. Uh, the Proverbs in the Bible is basically just a book on wisdom. Uh, in which he wrote, and he says, wisdom is fine treasure. It's something that we should, we should long for. And so what James is going to do is he's going to compare two types of wisdom, a counterfeit wisdom and true wisdom. 
uh, and he's going to lay that before us. So let's look at James 3, verse 13. And these two wisdoms, by the way, have been opposed to each other since the beginning of time until the end is all said and done and Jesus returns to pronounce final judgment. So uh, these are important to see. Here's what he says in verse 13 of chapter 3. Uh, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. <laughs> James just goes, who's wise? Now, if, if we're in culture today, everyone's going, oh, I am, right? I mean, look at your Twitter feed, look at your Facebook feed, look at your Instagram feed, look at what people are blogging, look at what people are saying, look at the view, look at CNN, look at Fox News. Everybody's putting forth their zeal, putting forth what they believe is wisdom. Everybody's saying, I know how to run the show. I know how to run the universe. I know how to run humanity. And James says, okay, uh, you think you're wise, you think you have understanding, uh, show it by your conduct. Show it by your lives. Everybody thinks they're wise. You think you're wise? You think you know a lot? Well, then show it by the ways that you live. He's saying you can understand how to live for Jesus. You can understand how to love your neighbors yourself. You can understand how to walk in holiness. You can understand what it means to be a Christian and never actually walk in it. Like, you can know all these wise things. You can even know know wise quotes. Man, your Twitter feed can kill it to where people think, i got to sit at that guy's feet, even though you're just quoting everybody else, and think he's super wise when you don't do anything with even the quotes you dish out. And we love sitting safely behind the screen, right? And we, we say all these things and all these big slogans, and, but, but are we actually manifesting in the ways that we live this wisdom that we know? That's what James is getting at here. He says, wisdom is much more something you walk in than something you simply know. That's actually what wisdom is. It's not just knowledge. See, the Bible doesn't just lay facts before you to pass an exam, does it? No, it lays truths before you that you can walk in to shape you and change you. And that's what the Bible does. So it's not an exam you pass where you know where every text is, it's are you taking those things and are you letting them sit on the disposition of your heart so you can walk in a way that he's going to say meek, he's going to show the benefits of this when we let Jesus' wisdom lay on our hearts in such a way. Um, I, I say a lot, so many people are 18 inches from heaven. Uh, they know everything up here and it never gets to here. Uh, there are a lot of people lost who will not be in glory with Jesus because they're just 18 inches from heaven. They've grown up knowing everything. Now, this is what James has continued to share to us, has he not? That, man, you can know a lot, and I'm terrified that you know so much, and nothing in your life manifests that you know it. Like, like there's just data without disposition. There's a lot of knowledge without wisdom. And, and we said back in chapter 1 that wisdom is not just knowing stuff. It's the ability to do something with the knowledge that you know. That's really what wisdom is. And, and James is just continuing to remind us of this over and over. Um, in our day, we have quick access to information, yet there's a big wisdom gap. Uh, the New York Times, a number of years ago, they actually did articles on this. And this is what they said. They said, we're drowning in information, yet we're starving for wisdom. It's New York Times. Even they know it. And I'm like, oh, you're just quoting the Bible. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. James 3. Oh, okay. You know, so, so even they don't even realize they're being driven by the truth of the Scriptures. Even they see the gap that James sees here. And James is saying we need to consider this. So James is not talking about knowledge. I want to make sure you understand that. He's not talking about stuff you know just intellectually. He's talking about wisdom in the ways that you walk. And this is why um, I love our growth groups. 
and a lot of the discipleship that happens here because most of them are primarily sermon-based. Uh, so we take the sermon text. We don't say, hey, that was a cute thing I listened to for 40 minutes. Now I get to move on to better things. No, we believe that, that as God speaks, he molds and shapes us. Now we get around the text in our groups and go, okay, how do I walk in this now? How does this affect my life now? How does it lay on my heart now? I just heard truths from God's word. Now I don't just want to move on. I want to sit there for a minute and let the disposition of my heart change and transform through the truths that I've been given. That's what we should be doing, is considering, man, Ezekiel says, God has spoken, I must go do something. Is that how we respond even to the word? When we read the word in our private devotions, that was a really cute thing he just said, and then close our Bible, and we're, hold on, i got to let that sit on my heart for a minute. I want to learn how to walk in wisdom in that. Um, This is what James is helping us understand, and he says, the byproduct of wisdom and understanding is meekness. Uh, I think most of us, and, and by the way, meekness isn't weakness. It's just strength under control. You see this in Jesus Christ, God himself. Could have destroyed humanity. Could have breathed fire. Could have, as people were mocking him on the cross, could have done anything to incinerate them. And he consi- continued to be meek, strength under control. Said, Father, forgive them. He was gentle, peaceable. We're going to see all of this. But um, a lot of us, in the same way as before with this wisdom knowledge gap and meekness, uh, we don't really want to know God's will because uh, we don't want to walk in it. So we'll, 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 I hear people all the time, I want to know God's will for my life. And I'm like, um, no, you don't because he's already said his will for you and you're refusing to walk in that. So, so what we think is we think that God's will is something that's an end result for us. Right, That God's will is this end game when you're 89 years old and there's a finish line with a ribbon and he has your name on it with all the things you're going to do and all the achievements you're going to make. And the Bible's going to say something very different. Um, God's will for you is something that you continually walk in. He's already said this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, to be holy, to pursue Jesus, to act justly and rightly, to pursue meekness and love and mercy, to love your neighbor as yourself, to give glory to God through all that you do, that your work would be worship, that that you live in relationship in such a way that would leave an aroma of Christ. He's already told us what his will is for us. We're all going around with a magnifying glass looking for his will, and he's going, no, you just don't want to walk in it. You don't really want to know what it is. So we say, no, no, God, tell me your will for my life. He's going, I've already told you a thousand times. And are you walking in what he's already said? I say this all the time. So much of our lack of growing in godliness is because you refuse to practice the things that you already know. You want something new, right? Give me some new truth, something creative. Wow me. And it's like, no, you just need to keep doing the things you already know. If you could just do that, you would be in good shape. And this is what James is continuing to show us. So he's going to show it work. It says it works its way out in meekness. And he'll explain it here by comparing these two uh, wisdoms. Verse 14, he'll give the counterfeit wisdom first. He says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So James shows us here, if if we're acting in wisdom by looking at our hearts, right, just like our mouths, right, where it's going to reveal the type of wisdom we're led in. So he's saying, what's in your heart? Is there bitter jealousy in your heart? Is there selfish ambition in your heart? Um, this just means that you, you exist. You see, the lens by which you see the world is the, that all things exist to make much of you and not much of him. So you're the center of your own universe. 
That's what James is showing here. So he's showing this is, this is counterfeit wisdom. This is wisdom that's false. This is wisdom that won't get you anywhere. Um, James is getting to the root of the massive problem of self-glory. Now, he, sh- he showed us this repeatedly in James chapter 2, the, the Lord of glory, how every issue is a glory issue. We refuse to give glory to him, and we want to give glory to ourselves. The, the MO of humanity is self-promotion, self-congratulation, self-image, how I look, how people perceive me, how I'm seen, how I can advance my kingdom, and the gospel comes in and says, and shatters that and humbles us to show, man, this whole show has nothing to do with you. It actually has everything to do with him, and you're a byproduct. You get icing on the cake in what God is doing, but open up your Bible. You won't find your name anywhere in there unless it's a mock name where your name's the same as a disciple or a prophet, but he ain't writing about you. He's writing about him, and he is always written from the beginning of time to the end what he alone is wanting to do. And then it's you and I getting caught up in that, seeing what God is doing, making much of his name, and finding our joy in him and not in our own kingdom. He's going to show us, man, this is, this is the difference of these two wisdoms, and it makes all the difference. He's going to show us it matters profoundly in our lives. Where there is jealousy, selfish ambition, and bitterness, they're all driven by self-promotion and self-glory. Um, imagine for if one week, just one week, guys, if you could go, let's just try a day. Let's just try a day, okay? Let's say we went just one day where you did not boast or defend yourself. Oh, that's fun. That is so hard. You try to go one week without ever boasting or defending yourself. You know what you're going to find as you do this exercise that's frightening and incredibly useful? You'd be amazed at how much pride, insecurity, self-righteousness, superiority is in your heart. You'd realize how quick you are to justify your actions and the ways that you speak and the things that you do. How much you're going to need to put other people down to make yourself feel more esteemed. You're going to see that. If just for a day or a week we tried that. That's what James is revealing. Look at your heart. And that word selfish ambition really means zeal. It means to put forth something that would advance you or your cause. Here's the thing. Culture everywhere is putting out zeal. Plenty of it, right? I mean, they're all putting forth their wisdom and what they think, and it's basically linking yourself to something that ultimately advances you. So the question is, what are you zealous about? Uh, What are the things that you pursue above God or against God? Um, Every day zeal is laid before us in TV, radio, social media. Oprah puts out her zeal. Dr. Phil puts out his zeal. Rush Limbaugh puts out his zeal. CNN puts out their zeal. Fox News puts out their zeal. We've got The View putting out their zeal. Everybody's putting out their zeal. And unless their wisdom and their zeal doesn't match up with the wisdom from above, it's not going to get you anywhere. So, so everybody's putting out their zeal. This is what he's, he's showing us here. And so he's going to show us a, a different way, a better way, because James tells us where it comes from in this text. He says it's not heavenly, it's earthly. He says it's not from above, it's unspiritual. That basically means soulless. There's no roots to it. Right? If God's going to reveal something to you, our finite brains aren't going to be able to know intrinsically. We need a God outside of us to actually tell us. That's why we believe in revelation, not speculation. We're not human beings that walk around and just speculate about things, but, but believe in a God who gives us divine revelation of himself. He's revealed himself. And, and to know him, we're not just going to know him. He's got to tell us about himself. And he's done it through the cosmos. He's done it through his word. He's done it through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. He says, man, you look at Jesus, you're looking at God the Father. 
says, even the creation screams out to my glory and my beauty and my good intelligence and my infinite wisdom. Even Jesus Christ himself was wisdom personified when you look at his life and how he lived. It's being ordered by our flesh, he says. This is, it's the part of us that resists and rebels against God. And this is why it's so important that we have to root ourselves in good truths and good doctrines and good theologies, okay? Um, namely, one of the ones that, if, if you go back to our mission statement that we uh, taught on, we've said this numerous times, is that you have to first and foremost root yourself that God is not primarily about you. Some of you are just, just rebelling against that statement. I mean, you want to throw me off the stage right now just to be saying that. I mean, I thought he came to seek and save the lost. He did. He did. He exercised ferocious love and unbelievable self-denial on the, on the cost of us, the humility where he emptied himself and made himself nothing so that he could go and ransom a people for his own glory and name. But listen, the primary goal of God is not that you and I would primarily be lost or saved. I know some of you are going, I want to be the center. And that's what James is saying. He's going, no, we want to be the center. We want to be the, the sun by which everything rotates. And the scriptures will lay before you a staggering reality. If you read them, if you actually look at it, it'll lay before you a story that God is actually primarily about the glory and praise of his very own name. That is where he, he sits because he knows when you and I get caught up in that, when you and I find ourselves in our joy, in our satisfaction, in our adoration, in our wants, in what he's doing and not so much as to what we want him to do for us, all of a sudden there's joy in an unexpected place. All of a sudden there's freedom. All of a sudden there's life. See, the more that you embrace that truth, the more freedom you find. The more you rebel against that, the more enslavement and destruction you'll find. Because listen, the most miserable, destructive, divisive, self-centered people I've ever met are those who are the center of their own universe. And the most free men and women I've ever met are Christians who are hedonists for God. Who say, man, I'm not even in this thing. Wow, he, he wrote this thing to show me what he's all about, to show me his character and nature, to show me what, what he is doing. And amazing that he would let me participate in his act, in his play, in his story. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God's for you. Yes, God sent Jesus to rescue you. I'm not denying those things, but I'm saying even that is not his highest aim. He did that so that you would enjoy him more. He did that so that he would get more praise and more glory and more worship. So you have to, you have to root yourself in that theology, even just reading through the lens of the scriptures, even just reading through, reading through James chapter 3. That's what he's revealing. He's just going straight to our hearts. I mean, just, just think about it, man. According to James, we all want to be the point. <laughs> That's why there's bitter jealousy. That's why there's selfish ambition. Uh, we all want to be the center of why things run. Um, I mean, just if you're married, I mean, look at how you enter the house. <laughs> this is my house. I've worked hard all day. Put my feet up. Wife, give me a foot rub. Put on the meal. Put on my favorite show, right? I mean, it's just, if you're single, man, I deserve a spouse. I deserve income. If you're uh, a student working, man, I deserve these grades. I deserve better appreciation. If you're on the, the road, for heaven's sake, man, this is my road. You don't drive in my lane, right? You don't drive in front of me. I mean, just Jersey's nuts. Ever since I moved here from Virginia four years ago, I realized how pagan humanity really was just by driving on the parkway. It's insane. I mean, flipping me the bird, I used to think that was high. And then I realized they ain't saying hi. And I'm like, I'm going the speed limit. That's too slow. I'm like, I can't win. I mean, I mean, just think about the ways that we are so selfishly ambitious. 
It's every day. It's every day. Just look at media. What's everyone promoting? Self. My way. What I think is right. How I think the world should be run. It's, it's powerful. And James is saying, man, ultimately, the, the truth that God is about himself is increasingly the best news in the universe for those who will listen. It's the best news in the world. The best life is that God is for himself, that God is about his own praise and renown more than he is about our happiness. Because then we can say, I don't know, but God does. I can trust him. He's a good father. I don't have to try to figure everything out. He's, he's the one in infant wisdom, not me. Profound truths. And he says, we don't know what true wisdom is, so God does, and God has to give it to us. Now, what does that reality do? It smashes our selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Uh, James says, counterfeit wisdom says, nope, God is primarily about me. And if he exists, the only right way to live is how he would suit my needs to how I think I should live. And he's saying that's earthly. And that life is marked by bitterness and jealousy. Um, if you are your own God, why would you want to hear God say anything to you? Like, like if you're the center of your universe, like why would you want him to say anything? Why would you want wisdom from him? Why would you want him to lay before you truths and realities as to how life works and how he's wired things to be? Because you're already set in your own way. And so this is why one of the greatest ills today is the worship of self. Uh, some of us would experience so much freedom as soon as we got over ourselves. You just would. I would. I mean, freedom tastes so sweet. It's right on the precipice as soon as we start to forget ourselves. And realize I'm not really a big deal, and he's really a huge deal. <laughs> and man, what, what he says and what he has planned and how he's at work is much bigger and more expansive than my finite, puny, pea-sized brain that went to public school. Like, I, I just, I hardly passed kindergarten. I know you're like, you're a pastor now? I know. God is a miracle worker. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God uses our weakness. God wants us to see so much more of what he's doing and what he's about and how he's at work than us. He is the point. And that's why, man, all of a sudden you're confident in this identity that, man, I mean, he's for me, man. He and my son slaughtered for me. I, why do I have to defend myself? Why do I have to bring, bring approval to people? I have to fear what people say. I mean, he's already reigning and ruling. He's already written the end. I pray from places of victory. Why, why am I worried about this? He shows there's freedom when we think that way. So rather than meekness, there's self-promotion. Rather than strength under control, there's promotion of yourself. Um, when you're reading, man, we could do so much application. I mean, when you're reading books or blogs, or what people write, what's the end goal? The promotion of self or imitating Jesus and seeing more of God's glory? Or is it more about self-improvement? Is it more about self-congratulation? Uh, listen to the pulpits in ministries. There are many faithful pastors and many that are train wrecks. I mean, I mean what do they say? Is it, is it self-promoting or is it God-promoting? I mean, it's, it's not hard to, to listen to this with a, with a good doctrinal ear and go, okay, what are they promoting from the front? Make much of me or make much of him? 
what God says go or what we say goes? I mean, what, what is the MO from the front? Because if you listen to many, it's here's five ways to a better marriage, three ways to handle your finances, nine ways to be an overcomer. Listen, those are all good things, but at the end of the day, they cut you at the knees because they leave you wanting more, and you can't have more unless you have himself. And so uh, when hardship gets in your life, when uh, you know, shame gets in your life, guilt gets in your life, condemnation gets in your life, when suffering comes into your life, all of a sudden when God is about God, you know everything he does is formative, not just punitive. You know you're at a place that's steady. Your, your identity is sure, it's unshakable, it's rock solid. No one can move you because you know who your God is, you know what he's about and what he's doing. You know his character and nature. Go to the women's conference, behold who he is, right? Once we know those things, everything else in our life begins to come together. But as soon as we get our heads down and go, oh, I'm the center, this is how the world should work, bitterness, jealousy, selfish ambition begins to come forth. And that's an exhausting road to walk on. Man, that's a tiresome life to live when you're the center. Uh, it's empty. It's vain. And as the world is screaming out, self-promote, Jesus comes along and says, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lay down your interests. Lay down your wants. Oh, that's a different message. See, when James says that, when he says here that this wisdom is demonic, it's theologically brilliant. Some of you guys go, oh my gosh, I'm walking in demonic wisdom? Yeah, you are. Uh, unspiritual, right? But, but when he says this, he's equating it to, I mean, what makes the devil the devil? Pride. Selfish ambition. I mean, He's the most self-centered entity that exists in the universe. I mean, it's what got him cast out of God's presence. It's why hell was created for Satan and his angels and all of his followers, which are all of those who choose to submit to his ways and not the ways of Jesus. I mean, that's why he says here that, that it's this demonic wisdom. It's earthly wisdom centered on the self. When we follow that, we're wanting to be just like him. I mean, look at what Genesis 3 says. What does the devil say? You ever thought about this back in the text? It'll be on the screen. But the serpent, this is as he comes to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He says this, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, that's the, that's the first lie. He, they're already made in the image and likeness of God. And then he says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The fall of man is a wisdom issue. She took of the fruit, some of you guys are, it's going to take, you'll be driving home going, oh my goodness, I just got it. She took the fruit and ate, and then she also gave to her husband, and he ate. The fall is an issue of wisdom. She desired to be wise. She desired to know things. She desired to increase in her intellect. She thought that all of this would give her more ability to understand how she could promote and advance herself and not the advancement of what God had intended when he created the world. Profound. That when she saw that it was desired to make one wise, she fell. Demonic wisdom is when you're driven in your decisions primarily how much this can boost you and not boost God and his mission. That is profound. And that's what he's helping us understand. He says wherever this counterfeit wisdom exists, go back to the other text. He says there will be disorder in every vile practice. So if your MO is self-absorption, the result will be disorder. 
If you are the center of your universe, look at relationships around you. I mean, imagine you move in with someone and the agenda is everything I want. Disorder, chaos. In your marriage. What if you, with your spouse, the MO is just everything I want. My agenda is self-absorption. Chaos in your marriage. What about the community of faith, the church? What if our MO was just my desires, what I want? There would be total chaos and total disorder. I mean, James is just laying before us realities that all of us would know. I mean, what do your social media posts produce? Chaos? Disorder? Divisiveness? That's what he's saying. He's saying he wants to protect the community of faith. He wants to protect God's bride. So look, some of you are going, okay, Pastor Mike, I don't want to be unspiritual. I definitely don't want to be demonic. How do I get the other type of wisdom? He tells us, verse 17. But wisdom from above. You don't look out at CNN or Fox News. You don't look out at the Republican Party and Democratic Party or Independent Party. You don't look out at what the, the view is saying. You don't look out at what the best talk show hosts are saying. You, you look above. Uh, we're so quick to gain our wisdom horizontally. What's everybody saying? Oh, what's she saying? What's he saying? What, even within the community of faith, what's he saying? What's she saying? No, he says, first, it comes from above, not from you, not from me. And he says, it's pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is going, you're looking around everywhere except above for true wisdom. Man, wisdom is not in culture or these views. He's saying wisdom for meaning, for purpose. You need to look up, James says. And James is talking about, when he says a wisdom from above, he's talking about a wisdom outside of you. A wisdom that you cannot intrinsically know. A wisdom that you cannot just inherit on your own. You need an active agent outside of you to actually give you wisdom, to give you illumination, to help you take the work of Jesus Christ and his person and work and then walk rightly in the wisdom that, of who he is. You need the spirit of wisdom. He says, I've sent this person. He's God. He's a member of the Trinity. The spirit of wisdom, he calls him. Like, you need this spirit if you're going to walk rightly and understand what it means to be his, understand what it means to walk in this wisdom and know how to flesh out what the scriptures teach. It's wisdom that God has and God alone gives. Look at what Paul prays in Ephesians. He says this, I never cease praying for you. Okay, he, he never stops praying for the church in Ephesus. Look at what he, what he asks. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Paul's going, man, I'm praying that you be given wisdom and revelation. Man, we don't need more speculation. We need divine revelation. We don't need to walk around clouded wondering how this world works and what we should do and choices we should make and how we should live and what has God said. He's going, man, I've given it to you, and I give the Spirit of God to take what's in this book that's true, that's from the lips of God, and then he's going to allow it to manifest itself where it sits on your heart, changes its disposition, and now you actually walk in wisdom. You can apply these truths. He illuminates to you the magnificent work of Jesus and his purchasing work on the cross and his resurrection and the Holy Spirit that he gifts you. You realize that, that for you to know anything spiritual that you know he gave it to you, like he lets you see that? Isn't that amazing? Like, like any part of you that, that just sees the beauty of Jesus Christ, I mean, all of a sudden one day you're like, man, that's nonsense, that's stupid. We've got people in here like that. Just, just, that's ignorant. That's just so, like, behind the times. Jesus Christ, criminal. How is that glorious? How is that wisdom? And all of a sudden 
the light bulb came on and you saw the wisdom of God made manifest in the personal work of his son. All of a sudden you saw your sin for what it really is. All of a sudden you saw your idolatry. You saw how you were trying to be the center of the universe. You saw the freedom that Jesus Christ alone offered. And he just tackled you in his salvation. You, you didn't help yourself do that. You didn't all of a sudden walk, man, I think I'm really clever. I study a lot. I know a lot. No, he says you need wisdom that's outside of you. You need a wisdom from above. You need a wisdom that you can't even inherently discern on your own. We are depraved. We are sinful. We've fallen short of his glory. No one wakes up one morning just magically going, man, I got it. I get it. In my own, I created this understanding. He goes, that's impossible. Anything spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2, has to be given from the Spirit. This is Powerful wisdom is from above. And this is what Paul is pleading that God would give this church in Ephesus. Because if we're going to walk in wisdom, we have to be given it from him through the truth found in the scriptures and then applied in the person and work of the Spirit. Um, There's this amazing, amazing connection that Paul is making. And I want you to think about this. Last week, because he's still really kind of talking about the tongue, the mouth. Last week, we talked about how um, you can use your mouth to literally set people on fire from hell itself, right? And here he's saying, you basically, what he's saying is you don't need fire from hell, you need fire from above. And when do you see this? In Acts 2, at Pentecost. What happens? The early church is inaugurated, the Holy Spirit falls, and what does it do? It literally heals their mouths, fire falls from heaven, and all of a sudden they're speaking in a way that everybody could understand clearly the beauty and magnificent work of Jesus Christ. What were they talking about? Jesus Christ. They were talking about his glory. They were talking about his his ways. And all of a sudden he's going, you don't need fire from hell itself. You don't need to be motivated by that. You need a fire outside of you that falls from heaven, right? We need wisdom from heaven, not wisdom that's earthly and demonic. And he says when that happens, it heals every part of you. And the disposition of your heart changes in every fiber of your being. It changes in the way you speak, looking after the vulnerable, the ways that we don't show partiality, the ways that we live, walk, and actually act like Jesus Christ and don't just know a lot about Jesus Christ. I'm excited. That's amazing. I mean, we, this is what the Bible is revealing to us. I mean, there is, there's literally this wisdom, this fire from above. So it's still tied to all of this. See, this humbles us in a heart that says, I'm really smart. I study a lot. I know more than anyone. This humbles that selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Because anything spiritual you know has been given to you. So you can't boast in it. And that's why he says you boast and not accordance to the truth. You're boasting in you. And you didn't learn anything. He gave it to you. He allowed you to. Powerful. Look at what Colossians 3 says. Paul says this. If you have been raised with Christ, if you're a Christian, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on what? Earthly things. Demonic things. Unspiritual things. You want your mind to be set somewhere. Where? Above. Who's there? God in Christ. He's not saying necessarily, hey, think about the streets of gold. Think about like, you know, no crying, no mourning, no weeping. Okay, those things are good to think about, but that's not really what he's saying. He's saying when you think where you set your mind is the wisdom of Jesus. Set it on Christ. Where's Christ? Next to God the Father. Look at Colossians chapter 2. 
My purpose is that you be encouraged, knit in love, to know all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is who? Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, I want you to be like Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to know the wisdom of Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, wisdom personified. And you can only know that through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit that he gave you to walk in this wisdom. So this wisdom from James is the wisdom of Jesus. That's what James is talking about. Now let's just look back at James 3 and let's just look at each of these. He says, first it's pure. It's all about motive. This one starts before all the rest. Jesus modeled this perfectly. Every single second of his life was motivated by love for the Father and love for others. Motivation was totally and utterly pure. There was no selfish ambition in his heart. No bitter jealousy. He laid down his rights in deity for humanity. Jesus modeled purity. So the Holy Spirit takes the purity of Jesus and applies it to you so you can love, serve, act like Jesus. Peaceable. This doesn't mean you avoid conflict. Uh, it's more speaking about when you encounter it, do you promote harmony? Do you promote reconciliation? Uh, before you become a peacemaker, you have to make peace with God. And how did God make peace with man? Through Jesus, through the wisdom of Jesus. So you can't be a peacemaker until peace has been settled with you in the cosmic world. And then we can make peace with others because Jesus has made peace. You become a peaceable person. Uh, peaceable people, they're slow and quick, right? Uh, if you know these people, they're, they're, they're slow to take offense, and they're real quick to repent. That's, that's who peaceable people are. Um, they're quick to say, I'll forgive you. I'll believe the best about you. That, that's, that's Jesus, which means uh, when I sin against you and you sin against me, we both take it to Jesus in his wisdom. We both walk together towards reconciliation that only he alone provides, that's characterized by good intentions. Uh, he says it's gentle. Uh, this is just really kind of, you're just willing to yield a little bit. Um, you don't always have to have your way. The wisdom of Jesus gives us peace, but it brings, it brings this shalom into our relationships. That's what he's saying here. Uh, if you're easily offended, you're not living out the wisdom of Jesus. Uh, because Jesus' wisdom is gentle, not pushy. He was kind, but reasonable. How can you be open to reason if you're the center of the universe? Right? If all that you believe and all that you think, now there, there are some things, no doubt, should never change. <laughs> I mean, the truths of Jesus Christ and what he's done in salvation, and, but I'm talking about these other ways where we don't allow any room to reason and hear other facts before we cast judgments? Are you open to reason? Um, you can only be reasonable when you know that you're not God and that God knows. Have you ever read Jesus' life and just been astonished by his ministry? I mean, I mean, there are times I'm reading the Gospels, I'm going, man, this guy claimed to be God, said he was the only way for salvation, invited everyone to follow him, and forced no one. He's just, he's open to reason. He was never domineering, gentle, loving, peaceable. 
Uh, the most reasonable people I know in the world listen more effectively and carefully than anyone else. Uh, you'll never hear chatty Cathy and wisdom in the same sentence, right? You'll just never hear it. Uh, he says we should be this. Um, merciful. This one was so weighty to me. I, I don't really know why. I don't, out of all these as I was studying these, mercy is... It's not just this idea that, that you won't give people what you think they deserve. It's that you also choose to minimize consequence. And, and this is what Jesus did. Like, like when, when, when mercy moves beyond forgiveness, you want to hang it over their head. You want them to feel it, right? They've hurt you. They've wounded you. Well, mercy is it forgives and then it doesn't say to pay anything back. Um, Jesus was the quickest man in human history to forgive, right? And he not only forgives, he minimizes consequences. He doesn't hang it over your head. He says, no, now I want you to live as if the Father heart of God delights over you. I want you to know how you are now as a chosen son of God. I want you to know what he earned for you when you stumble and fall. I want you to know the, the steadfastness you can, you can stand in when you feel like there's condemnation and guilt and shame. He doesn't hang it over your head. He gives you mercy and he minimizes all consequence. He says that's what happens when we walk with Jesus. We grow in the wisdom of Jesus in this way. And then impartial. Uh, you don't treat others predicated on what you can get from them. When your heart has been transformed by the work of Jesus and empowered by his spirit, we no longer walk in a posture of partiality. That sound familiar? He's circling back to chapter 2 again. You show impartiality based upon race, socioeconomic status based upon origin, based upon tribe. There's no, no, the wisdom of Jesus doesn't do that. We want all to know Jesus, meet Jesus, love Jesus, and experience Jesus. Not based upon your political party nonsense. We want everyone to walk with him. Being a Christian is not Republican. Okay, good. Dodge that bullet. Be, being a Christian is loving Jesus. For heaven's sake. I mean, being a Christian is dying to yourself and submitting yourself to his name and renown. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that you love him before your allegiances. It means that you're for him before you are your own race. It means that you're for him before anything else that you would lay superior. That's impartiality. And the wisdom of Jesus is impartial. James closes this whole thing out just showing us that wisdom from Jesus and his spirit reaps this harvest of righteousness. Um, oh, that our homes, our churches, our workplaces will be a place where there's, there's harvests reaped of righteousness. And here's what he's showing us. Um, where those who presently don't know Jesus would meet him and not only be made positionally righteous, right? Justification, declared righteous with God. He sees Christ in our place for our sins in our stead. It's not just that he sees us positionally that way, but now we walk practically in righteousness. Saying, would that, would that happen in us, that people who not only stood Jesus, but people who think, feel, and act like him? Powerful. So I want to give you just five things, and we're going to close. Um, I know I rarely give you, like, bullet applications, but today's a good day for you uh, if you're a, you're a you know, note taker. Uh, number one, just coming out of this, what are some practical things to do? Reflect on the nature of your ambitions. Are they God-centered or are you centered? Uh, you might have to do some longer praying on this. 
Listen, is it good to have ambitions? Absolutely. Is it good to, to run and want to be great in your job and, and take care of others and steward your finances? Absolutely. But, but listen, if the ultimate aim is so that you'd be praised and the advancement of you would be made, I think there needs to be some reorienting. You're there so that God would be given glory. You exist so your life would be a magnifying glass of who he is. So everything goes off of me and on to him, right? No, no, stop looking at me. Just keep looking at him. Not in false humility, but in a way that says, no, I want Jesus' name and renown more than I want my name and renown. Because then all these secondary ambitions get relativized, to be honest. And you can walk in those rightly. Uh, next, in a conflict, um, just ask what would bring God glory. It's such a simple statement. I'm telling you it will help. Maybe it means in those situations you ask, maybe for the first time ever, where have I contributed to this conflict? I don't know. Just gentle. And then, and then in the right time, in the right place, you approach that brother or sister or your spouse or your neighbor or that stranger or the person in your workplace. Just, just ask God, man, what would glorify God in this? Uh, number three, um, ask for wisdom. <laughs> I mean, I know this, but I'm going back to James 1. I mean, he says, look, if you're struggling for wisdom, knowing what to do, ask for it. God gives without reproach. He's not withholding. He wants to give generously to you. So, man, do you just, I mean, knee-jerk jump into situations based upon what you think you should do? Or do you stop and go, man, God, I need your wisdom. I need your words. I need to know what to do here. What's our first gut reaction? I think we need to ask for wisdom. When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? If at all. That's a great question. Uh, next one. Um, you grow wisdom by getting around wise people. Um, so if your herd that you run in is all just morons, I mean, you're, you're not going to grow wisdom. If they're all your age, uh, your season of life, those are good things. But I'm just saying, if that's alone where you live, you're never going to grow in wisdom. If, if the people you listen to are the same people and no one else, you won't grow in wisdom. If you're white, listen to a black preacher. If, if you're, you know, trying to discern someone else's background, talk to them. Have them over for dinner. Ask them why they are the way that they are. Um, we grow in wisdom by getting around wise people. And here's, here's a great thing just to, just to kind of um, ask yourself. When, when people leave being with you, what's the trail you leave behind? Divisiveness, more gossip, more backbiting, more yeah, or, or gentle. Is it marked by peace? Is it marked by harmony? Is it marked by reasonableness? Is it marked by impartiality? That's a good question. And when people spend time with me, how do they leave? What do they feel? How do they think? And lastly, um, see Jesus Christ who's wisdom personified. Man, this, this is amazing. You go to 1 Corinthians 1, we don't have time. Man, there's a mixed audience, Jew and Gentile. And what happens, man? He's going, you want wisdom? Look at Jesus, slaughtered, and they're going, how is that wisdom? I mean, a, a man dying is a criminal. And he's going, you want to see wisdom? Let me tell you about it. It's demonstrated in the cross of Christ. That's what he says. And he says, it's foolishness to the world who doesn't understand it and has not been given illumination to get it. It's wisdom. If wisdom is about pursuing peace, is there anyone else who was more about pursuing peace than Jesus Christ, who made peace with God for us? I mean, if there's anyone who ever lived in human history, 
who was not about self-promotion? Was it Jesus who denied him his own self? I mean, amazing. Go to Ephesians 2. This gospel's broken down the wall of hostility. And go in the, in the old temple courts, literally say, hey, Gentiles over here, Jewish people here. It says he actually broke that down, that dividing wall of hostility, and says, no, no, there's, there's peace now. There's shalom here. There's things that can happen now. There's, there's this reasonableness, this gentleness, this impartiality that's all birthed forth solely out of the work of Jesus Christ. P- profound here. Jesus does that. Um, listen, I said this a couple weeks ago. If, if you're in here and, and you're, you're agnostic, or you don't believe that God exists, or you're in any other system of belief or thought, you don't really have reason or merit to desire this thing. Because systems say, basically, you're superior and you get what you do and you earn what you've done. And the gospel says you've earned nothing and you only get what Jesus has earned for you. And it breaks down every last mental desire to be made superior, to be self-glorious, to have self-promotion. Let's ask God for wisdom right now. Father, would you right now give us wisdom? Father, would you help those of us that need help in maybe some of these specific categories? Would you help us to be people who walk in wisdom from above, not wisdom on the earth? Father, even now where you're, where you're bubbling up conviction or, or leading in your Holy Spirit, Father, would you allow us, would you give us the ability to walk in that? Would you help us not just to know external realities, but things that become internal transformative truths? Father, we need wisdom. We come before you today as, as humans going, man, we need to hear from you. We need to know you. We need to know more of what you've said and less of what we've said and what we think. We need more of what you think. How would you help us in our homes, help us in our work, help us as the community of faith to be people that live according to the wisdom from above and not according to the wisdom that is of the earth. Help us from buying the lie of counterfeit wisdom that will betray us at every corner. Help us to be the most free people that exist because you're about yourself. And that's the best news to those of us who understand that when we're the center, it's the most devastating life to live. Free us from ourselves this morning. Help us to worship you and give glory to you and honor to you. And Lord, as we take this supper, Father, I pray it be something that we don't simply look back on, but hold in our hands and taste wisdom itself in Jesus. Beautiful name we pray. Amen.